past ball show. Brought to you by JohnPLE.com. What the f*** you think is my opinion of it? I think it was f- f- Put that in. I don't... So the tribe drops its third straight on this trip. Six to one to the Rangers. For the Indians, one run on, let's say, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Talk about the past, talk about the history, I'm talking about what's great about this game of baseball. There's so much stuff that we talk about. I would say I wouldn't know, but I would say the reason why they want to ask is baseball going to the highest baseball sport that has gone into baseball and from the baseball angle. I'm not going to speak of any other sport. Let me start by telling you this. I have never used steroids, period. Jerry, just remember. It's not a lie if you believe it. And this, he sucks. Well, he's out. Yes, sir. Brett is out. Look at, look at this. Brett is out. And uh, David Mack. I'm not here to argue about other sports. I'm in the baseball business. It's been run cleaner than any baseball business that was ever put out in the 100 years at the present time. Sell the team. Oh, yeah. Welcome aboard. John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network, hour number two of the program. Don't forget to tweet at me at John underscore Pielli. We keep the program interactive, the whole thing. This hour, I'm going to play an interview right now that I just recorded with former Major League catcher and longtime Major League coach Don Leppard. And Leppard, of course, ends up uh, playing in the Major Leagues for about five seasons, ends up coaching with another former guest on the show, and that was Harry Warner, who I recorded an interview in person when I was down in Pennsylvania. So we'll, we'll have this interview. Don has some, uh, some, some very interesting views on some of the things going on in baseball and history and stuff like that. So feel free to listen to him and, you know, comment. Tweet at me at John underscore PLA. Let me know what you think. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoy this spot with longtime Major League coach and former Major League catcher, Don Leppard. Good afternoon. The next person I'm joined with was a former Major League catcher and a longtime Major League Baseball coach, and that's Don Leppard. Don, thanks for having a couple minutes today. Yeah, well, my pleasure. Hey, Don, uh, first, uh, I'd like, I always like to get in, especially, you know, a guy that's obviously been around the game for a while and can trace the game back from a long time. Tell me about your first memory that involves baseball. Was it something maybe playing yourself, or was it baseball you were watching? Your earliest memory as a kid in regards to baseball. Well, I tell you, my earliest memories of baseball go way back to when I was a, a young kid, and I lived in Indianapolis, Indiana, and the police department in Indianapolis had a program called the Police Athletic League, and it was uh, designed primarily to keep kids uh, interested in something worthwhile and they keep them off the street. So believe it or not, this is back in the 30s, of course, believe it or not, you know, you still have, you know, problems with, with, uh, uh nonsense that went on, uh, you know, among teenage kids and everything even then. And the police, the police department, uh, at all of the city parks in the city of Indianapolis, they had these uh, clubs. They called them the police athletic league, and then not only did they have, you know, football teams and basketball teams, baseball teams, but in the various community houses, they had things like uh, shop classes and uh, uh, things of that nature, arts and crafts and things. So that's when I first got interested, of course, in, in sports was because of that 
power club and I, and I really over the years have come to really appreciate uh, the forward thinking of the you know the Indianapolis Police Department because like I say back in the 30s it was kind of a, a unique idea you know to provide your kids with something to do rather than get into trouble so not only did he get me started in, in athletics I played pretty much all the sports uh, in school uh, not only did he get me you know, involved in athletics which I was eternally grateful for but uh, it kept me from getting into some nonsense that, you know, that most kids uh, are, you know, allowed to get into at that age. But, uh, yeah, I'm not, but uh, the, the best regard, high regards for that, for that old pal club. Yeah, that's awesome. I'll tell you, you know, you've been on this old saying that, hey, uh, kids that have nothing to do will find will find some trouble to get into. So, you know, you know the, whole, the whole idea behind it, hey, keep keep them busy. Keep them, you know, doing doing something where they can at least go play and kind of enjoy themselves. And, you know, it'll give them, uh, give them less time to think about causing any trouble. Absolutely, and, and I tell you, that's, a, that's to me, a, the biggest problem we have in this country today is, uh, you know, American white kids, they just aren't doing anything. Hell, you can drive around, I live in Naples, Florida, you could drive around this city all day long, and you wouldn't see one pickup baseball game. You wouldn't see, you'd see maybe some of the black kids would be out shooting baskets and the Mexican boys and they're out playing soccer. But you don't see no American white kids out doing nothing. They're playing around with their video games, you know, and their, their telephones that they have they to cut the grass and uh, they aren't doing anything. And look at the, look at the, uh, the makeup of the uh, major league. Uh, the baseball uh, rosters nowadays. What, what is it? It's, it's like, you know, I don't know what the percentages are, but uh, I'm sure there's probably more Latinos in, in the uh, major leagues today than there are American white kids. And then, you know, you got people coming in here from all over the world playing our game. And they're playing our game because we don't want to play it anymore when we're kids. So, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm getting old and grouchy in my, in my older years. But no, it's understandable. Huh? No, it's understandable because, you know, even when I was growing up, we still had to, to pick up baseball games and, you know, go out down the road and play some football with the kids from the neighborhood. And now it's just, you know, everything's kind of changed with the technology and the video games. And the kids, yeah. you know, the kids just seem to want to want to do that. And I guess, I, I guess part of it is because, you know, there's more stuff available. The technology is better. These, these games are so much better than anything that you know I ever saw when I was a kid. But yeah, I mean you're right. It's taken it's taken away from the athletics, and you know you got kids that are you know essentially just uh, sitting at home gaining weight as opposed to you know keeping themselves healthy and doing something more productive. Absolutely, and you know I, I was over I'm fishing hunting all the time. You know, that's about all I do. But I was over at the Bass Pro Shop the other day, and I was talking to, to one of their uh, employees over there. And they were talking about the Bass Pro Shop, or, you know, along with all those other, uh, you know, outdoor outfitters and everything, are, are striving to get young kids interested in fishing and hunting. And it comes from the fact that the young kids aren't doing any fishing and hunting. And uh, you look at the makeup of the, uh, of the hunting and fishing licenses anymore, you know, the vast majority of the age of the guys that fish and hunting more is 40 plus. 
And, uh, you know, they kind of, they're all, you know, up in arms trying to get some kids involved with this and that. But when I heard a kid, you know, if we weren't playing ball of some kind, you know, we were down to crack fishing or we were out hunting rabbits or, you know, something. But there again, you know, getting back to what I said before, American white kids just ain't doing nothing. And it's really disappointing to me. And, uh, you know, I've got some grandkids that are, uh, that are kept in the same mold that myself and, and uh, my kids are, uh, you know, they're fishing hot and, 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 you know, play sports and everything, but they're in the minority and they can't find anybody to fish or hunt with or can't even find enough kids in the to make a pickup ball game. So, you know, I, I certainly am not smart enough to know what the answer is, but I, I do know what the problem is, and that's it. Now, if you could ever, if you ever come up with the answer, I'll tell you, it'll be, it'll, it'll save, a, you know, save a lot of young people's, uh, you know, mindsets growing up. Yeah. Uh, well, they, and you know, you got, and you got so much, you know, going against these organizations like the Boy Scouts, you know, that for years have been, you know, a passion of, of the, for the, you know, the young boys to have an outlet for all the, you know, and, and now we got all this mess with the, you know, having uh, uh, homosexual scout readers and everything, you know, and that, you know, I, I just, I just don't understand that. I don't understand why, you know, if you have a, a club that's based on certain ideas that you believe in, why do you have to be, you know, why do you have to include people that have just diametrically opposite ideas of what your club believes in? So, you know, here again, I don't want to be a preacher, but <laughs> I don't have the wherewithal to be a preacher, but I, you know, I, there's just certain things that just aggravate me to the point where the only thing I do with the paper anymore is to do the crossword puzzle, take the rest of it to wrap my face in. <laughs> Voice you're hearing right there is former major league catcher and longtime major league coach Don Leppard. Now, now back to a little when you when you started when you started playing baseball professionally was this uh, you know how how were how were you scouted or how were, how were you noticed as a ball player you know when you were younger? Well, uh, I, uh, I went to college on a uh, combination athletic and uh, academic scholarship. Went Wabash College and.
was a professional coach and was coaching in uh, Calgary in the Canadian Football League. And he was called in to the service as a uh, reserve officer. You know, he was in the, the reserves as a result of his uh, having served in, I guess, World War II and Korea. And he was called into the reserves and he was coaching at a football team there and, and, and he uh, actually offered me a, a contract to come and play uh, professional football in Calgary. Uh, I was a quarterback on a football team, but I was also an excellent punter. And, and back in those days, why there was some kind of a rule in Canadian football, I'm not exactly sure how it was spelled out, but I think it was called a, a, a roof or something like that. If you punted the ball through the end zone, uh, you got a point. And uh, yeah. I forget exactly how it all worked because I, I never did really get involved in it to the point where I, yeah, I went up there and worked out or anything for him. But uh, anyway, so, you know, I got out, it was, in, uh, I got out in January uh, to having finished my enlistment in, you know, baseball season right around the corner. So I chose to play baseball over football, although I, I prefer playing football. I enjoyed it more than did baseball, but uh, so having, you know, <laughs> having worked for 65 bucks a month or whatever it was, you know, they were paying GIs in those days, why it was, uh, uh, it was uh, welcome to get a job where it paid you a little money, so I signed for professional baseball and went to spring training with the Braves and, and uh, just, you know, stayed with it and, uh, uh, after a while, I, I got uh, asked to spring training by the Pirates and uh, had a pretty good spring, and they brought me up there in 61. And uh, that was the beginning of my professional baseball career, and, and, uh, and I stayed with it until I was 65 years old and asked to retire. <laughs> and uh, I played a lot in winter ball, you know, back in those days, of course, nobody made, you know, millions of dollars. I wasn't good enough to make that kind of money anyway, but uh, so everybody, you know, they had families, but pretty much, they, you know, a lot of them played winter ball, and I certainly did. I played winter ball just about every year, and, you know, that worked out for me. And, uh, and I enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed the, the winter ball part of it uh, just as much as I did the summer uh, summer leagues, uh, having, you know, been in the military and having gone through some rough times and rough living conditions. Why, you know, the living conditions down here in Latin America and places like that, they had about me because, you know, I put through all that, so it was kind of what you make out of it, you know, if you go into the into the military with the idea it's going to be a terrible experience. Why, well, it'd be a terrible experience. We'd be going there with the idea that, you know, you're going to make the best of it. Why, well, you know, it'll be a fun experience. And so that's the same attitude I took when I went to winter ball as I did when I went into the military. And, and I thoroughly enjoyed playing winter ball. I don't know how I'd enjoy it down here in Venezuela right now, but mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time in Venezuela. I came down there and managed down here two, two or three times, and uh, as well as most all of the other Latin American stops too. And, and I really enjoyed it. And uh, 
And once again, John Pialli here with Don Lepper. Now, you got a chance to do something that very few players in the major leagues got to do. You hit a home run on the first major league pitch you saw from Kurt, from Kurt Simmons. Of course, Kurt Simmons, those of you who listen to the program, well, was a guest on the past ball show a couple months ago. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about that because I'm sure there's some nerves going through your mind. You get a chance. You're going to make your major league debut. You come up there for the first time, and sure enough, you see, you see a good enough pitch, and you hit it out. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you know, I wish there was some, you know, kind of intent or something there, but, uh, you know, I was just like any other rookie, I was scared of death, and, and uh, you know, the, the, uh, the amazing thing, I don't know if amazing is the right word, but uh, a thing that, that was unusual for probably most guys was that the first major league ball game I saw is the one I played in. Uh, having been born and raised in Indianapolis, uh, we, didn't have, we didn't have a major league team there. We had a triple A cup there, but I had never seen a major league ball game. Wow. Uh, I saw an exhibition game over in Tokyo, Japan. Uh, I don't even know what year that was, but uh, one year Yogi Bell and Campanella, uh, uh, I guess it was, had a, a, a traveling all-star uh, games over there in the, in the Far East, and they played a game in Tokyo, and I happened to be up there on temporary duty uh, that particular weekend, and, and that was actually, the, I guess you call it, first major league game I ever saw, but the first official game I ever saw was one I played in, so that was kind of a unusual occurrence, I would guess, but, uh, you know, it, it, it was, uh, you know, it was uh, certainly a, a thrill come true, uh, not only just for getting a home run, but just to get to play in a major league game, you know, that was, that's probably constant, because you got to remember back in those days, you know, there's only half as many teams as there are now, yeah. and plus the fact that you know, there was, I don't know how many more minor league teams there were than there were now. I know that, I remember one time talking to uh, Harry Walker, who was the manager of the Pies for a couple of years there when uh, when I was working in the organization. He was talking about the Cardinals at one time had 23 minor league teams. And, of course, there, there was a class D league, you know, and then D, C, B, A, and, you know, and then, uh, most of the, the bigger organizations had, uh, some of them had three triple A clubs. Wow. And, and uh, you know, two, three double A clubs. And, and uh, you know, and so there was, you know, you had to be on top of your game to get recognized, uh, you know, in professional baseball in those days. So, you know, I felt pretty fortunate that, that, uh, that since I got such a late start in the game, I felt pretty fortunate that I even had the opportunity to, to play in the major leagues. Yeah, was, uh, unfortunately, I come up with a debilitating uh, injury. Uh, I got off to a great start in 63 after having been traded from Pittsburgh to Washington. But I came up with a, what was uh, later called an undiagnosed uh, injury, I had a uh, tumor on the nerve sheet in my heel. Wow. 
And then, you know, the, the years that you stuck around, was there any one player or coach that was a major influence on you that you look back and you say, hey, uh, I, admit, you know, I kind of owe what I was able to accomplish to the tutelage of this player or coach? Yeah, well, yeah, there was a whole gang of them. I mean, you know, really, I think uh, I'd just be a disservice to, to pick out one guy and say he did this for me or that for me because, you know, when you stick around like I did for 50 years or whatever, there's going to be so many guys that, you know, that uh, the accumulation over the years of all the information that you absorbed came from a lot of different sources. But certainly the the one guy that, that uh, you know, that I came to admire so much was Clemente, Roberto Clemente. And uh, admired him not only because, you know, he was such a tremendous athlete and, you know, he, he did some amazing things, but be, uh, his contribution to the, to the, uh, the Latino uh, players getting, being given opportunities, you know, to play in, in not in major league baseball, but in, you know, professional baseball altogether, you know, it, it, I tell everybody that, you know, I feel like he contributed as much to the Latino uh, contributions to baseball as, as Jackie Robinson did to the, to the uh, American black players, you know. Absolutely. And, and, and uh, I mean, you go down in Latin America, and, of course, uh, Roberto was from Puerto Rico, but you go down in Latin America, you go in folks like Venezuela and places like that, it's become, you know, a hotbed of, of talent now. Uh, and, uh, you know, players from all over Latin America look up to him, you know, uh, with great reverence and, and uh, 
So your opinion's on the record. Don, listen, I want to thank you for having some time. I really appreciate you giving me a couple minutes, and, uh, you know, best of luck to you. Okay, well, thank you. Call any time. Enjoy talking with you. Sometimes Don Leopard gets confused with another Don Leopard that played in the major leagues. Don was a second baseman for the Baltimore Orioles in 1955. The one we just spoke with was obviously the catcher that played for the Pittsburgh Pirates from 1961 to 1962, the Senators in 63 and 64, and was the All-Star in 1963. Of course, a longtime coach, starting with the Pirates in 1968 to 1973, and then with the Blue Jays under manager Roy Hartsfield for the inaugural season of 1977, and like I mentioned before the interview, he was also a, a fellow coach with Harry Warner, who was on the past ball show um, from his house in Pennsylvania a couple months back, but uh, Don, of course, hits his first Major League home run off of Kurt Simmons on his first pitch, and Kurt Simmons another guest on the past ball show, so we got all these connections here to the past ball show, we got Don Leppard, 
who coached with Harry Warner, hit a home run off of Kurt Simmons, all guests right here on the Passball Show. Of course, tweet at me at John underscore Pielli, who keep the program interactive. Uh, what we're going to do right now is we take a little bit of a break. On the other side of the break, I got a little bit of a treat. Uh, we're going to speak with the youngest blogger in all of baseball, from, if I'm not mistaken, from MLB.com. He's got his own website, Baseball with Matt. His name is Matt Nadell. He is 15 years old, and he's done interviews with some phenomenal interviews, let's be honest. Uh, some guys he's had, um, you know, gotten a chance to talk to include George W. Bush, Rudolph Giuliani, Billy Crystal, and, of course, Hall of Famers, Hank Aaron, Yogi Berra, Bob Gibson, Jim Palmer. And he's also done some ghost interviews with people that were in kind of a third person making believe they were Babe Ruth Joe Jackson, Walter Johnson, Jackie Robinson, and, you know, it's interesting to see how he gets into that. So on the other side of the break, we'll talk with Matt Nadell, the uh, 15-year-old blogger, and, of course, don't forget to check out Passball Show right here on the MTR Radio Network, johnpielli.com. I'll be right back after this. This is Lady E, one of the many broadcasters at MTR Radio. If you're listening to MTRRadio.com, fantastic. Que bueno. But if you want to take us with you, we have an app for your smartphone that lets you listen to us 24-7. Just go to Google Play on your Android device or the iPhone App Store and download our app, MTR Radio. What's up, everybody? This is James Flippin. And Joey Baboots. We host the morning show together, and every morning we start up our cars and make the drive up to the studio. And you know, we always see one or two accidents along the way. We wanted to make sure our listeners know where to go for the best in car care in South Jersey. That's right, James. Red Rose Body Shop. That's Red Rose Body Shop specializes in collision and framework. They're the best in South Jersey for paint and body work, unibody framework, free towing, and free estimates. So call today, 609-927-9454 and check out their website, www.redroseautobody.com. Follow them on Facebook and Twitter. Red Rose Body Shop, 2033 Ocean Heights Avenue, Egg Harbor Township, New Jersey, 609-927-9454. Red Rose Body Shop is South Jersey's collision specialist. 609-927-9454 or redrosebodyshop.com. Been in an accident? Take your car to the professionals at Red Rose Body Shop. Here and we'll play my interview right now. I recorded this past week with uh, 
teenage blogger, Matt Nadell, and he is known throughout uh, Twitter and throughout a lot of areas of the East Coast and even throughout the country as the, the youngest baseball blogger, and he talks a little bit about how he got started, uh, what kind of got him into baseball at such a young age. And one thing that I take a lot of pride in here on the past ball show is the fact that I've done interviews with some old-time players, some guys in their 80s, you know, a guy like Don Leppard who we just spoke with a little bit in the first part of this pro, uh, this this hour, uh, you know, is in his 80s. We talk about his first experience in baseball and you know I've interviewed guys in their 80s and their 90s and you know it's interesting to see what the perspective you get from somebody on the other side of the circle somebody that hasn't seen it firsthand but you know similar to myself is doing a lot of research on it and things that are, are interesting to him may not be interesting to somebody that's 80 or 90 years old and I, I think it's great to have the diversity to talk to somebody that is so much older and has the experience and so much younger and you know you'd be surprised how much the, the, this younger guy knows I mean he knows um, I, I put him right up there with, with me and he may know in some areas a little bit more about baseball than, than I do so he does a phenomenal job and hope he keeps up the good work so before I go any further here it is my interview with baseball blogger Matt Nadell follow him on Twitter at Baseball WMATT. This is John Pielli. I'm happy to be joined by uh, a, a young man who's learned, who's known through, throughout you know the East Coast and probably around the country now as the youngest baseball blogger. And his name is Matt Nadell. Matt, thanks for having a couple minutes today. Thank you so much for having me, John. It's an honor. Yeah, Matt, the first question I want to ask you has to do, you know, it's a question that I've asked some of the older ball players that I've had on my show, and I've interviewed players that are in their 80s and even a couple in their 90s, and it's a fascinating question I always like to ask. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're a younger guy, obviously, but what, what got you into baseball, and how, how old were you um, at, at the time where you first really started following baseball? And what was the moment and the, the time and what was going on in baseball when you first started following it? Uh, well, when I first started following baseball, well, first of all, my grandparent and my grandpa, I mean, if not my dad, were very huge baseball fans growing up. My dad was more of a football fan, but he still followed the Nets, you know, when they were good in the 80s, when they won that 86 World Series. So anyway, when the two Douglas came, he turned into a Yankee fan because, well, they had Peter and O'Neill and Martinez, all the good players, and they were winning a lot of World Series. So I was being raised by him at that time. I was born in 1999, and I really wasn't that involved in baseball until I was about, I would say, eight years old in the 2007 ALDS, where the Yankees faced the Indians. And I remember watching the games, and it was so interesting to me. And so the next year, I started really following the Yankees, not really religiously at this point, but it was the last year that the Yankees played in the stadium, and it was so interesting to watch. And I actually, that season in 2008, although the, the Yankees didn't make playoffs, I actually did get to meet Derek Jeter, and it was very interesting. And he's a very nice guy, and so I thought to myself, well, this guy has so much history, and I want to learn about it. So I learned about Jeter and Prevail. I got other names like Babe Ruth, Luke Carrick, Mickey Mantle, Joe Maggio. And by the time I finished reading all those biographies, the Yankees had just won the whole series in 2009. And from all those biographies, I got more names, like Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, Walter Johnson, Christy Matthewson. 
And it just kept on building on itself. And eventually, in April 2012, I said to myself, well, I know so much about baseball history. Why don't I teach other people about it? So that's how I started my blog, Baseball Fat. And since then, I've been blogging nonstop about baseball history. And it's probably been the greatest years of my life. Man, that's awesome. And I tell you, one thing that fascinates me about it is for, you know, you're a young guy, you've obviously done your research, and, you know, it's very evident in everything you write and a lot of the interviews that I've had a chance to either read or listen to. And, you know, what, what would you say is, is the biggest, the, the, the most fascinating part about baseball to you? Because, you know, you followed, obviously, some of the stuff currently going on and has gone on within the last, you know, maybe five to seven years. But what what it, what is it about baseball history that draws you to it? Like, is there is there a player or an era? Maybe it's even the Yankee history. Uh, well, when I blog about baseball history, I generally tend to stay out of Yankee history just because there's so much more history. And the reason that there is so much history is because baseball really ties in not just with sports history, but it also kind of ties in with American history. If you think about it, baseball really kept uh, the nation together during the Depression, during World War II, the Korean War, the Vietnam War. I mean, obviously there were other factors, but that was really the sport that kept all of the groups together. Obviously, football, basketball, hockey came a little later, but baseball is the oldest sport and it's the longest history, and it goes back to the Civil War. And actually, my cousin is a really big enthusiast of wars and stuff, and research stuff. Uh, and he told me that during civil during the Civil War, some of the armies would have baseball games like 10,000 on 10,000. So baseball goes back throughout American history, and I think because baseball is called America's pastime, that's why it's the most notable sport when it comes to history. I just agree to sport to research its history. No question. Once again, John Pielli here with baseball blogger Matt Nadell. Now, when what was your first article? Because I, I think I find that fascinating. I could think of my own, the, you know, the first one that I ever put together. But, you know, once you finally either put it on paper or you started your website, what was the first thing that you wrote about? Well, my, uh, of course, my first article was just introducing my blog. But my real first article was talking about the netball era and how a lot of players did not aim to hit home runs. One, because the balls were not good. They were not manufactured excellently. But once Babe Ruth came along, he started, you know, hitting home runs left and right. A lot of players realized, wait a sec, if I hit home runs, my team will win more. So from there, I was basically talking about the start of baseball and the dead ball era and like the, but not really the modern era of baseball. I would say the modern era, especially like the fifties. Yeah. But like, but like, how it evolved from the dead ball era to guys like Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire hitting 70, 73 home runs in a season. I was just talking about that, and it was really interesting to just think about. And actually, I remember writing that article, and I remember how hard it was. And now, because I have to research stuff, and now I think I've evolved so much that I could just rewrite that article without looking up anything. So that's how much my blog has grown, and. It's really interesting to see how, how, uh, how I guess intricate my writing has been for the last two and a half years. No question. I'll tell you, the more the more you write, the more you, you kind of uh, 
become a historian, and, that, and that's something you should consider yourself at such a young age. Uh, you kind of are a historian because what what you're doing is you're is you're you're using the research that you have to pass it on to other people, which I find fantastic. Another thing that, that that's that's very good about what you've done is you've had a chance to do a lot of interviews. You've interviewed a lot of not just not just baseball players, but also people like associated with the game. Who was the first person that you ever had a chance to interview? Well, my first ever interview was with uh, Angel All Angel and Red Sox All Star Fred Lynn. And it was over the email and I asked him a couple just regular questions. And then I realized something when I was writing the questions. This guy is a regular guy. Fred Lynn is a person, he's not just a baseball player. So I realized at that very moment I could ask him just regular questions. I asked him, Do you have any hobbies? He said, I'm actually a really good cook. Would you ever have known that about Fred Lynn, that he was a good cook? No. So it was very interesting to not only just write the questions, but also to get the answers back and see how interesting and how, not really just interesting, but how normal these guys are. And it's almost, it's not really like just an interview. It's almost like a conversation. Like for example, us, like we're just talking about baseball history. So Fred Lynn was my first interview. But it was my first phone interview, or actually, my first phone interview, and just my favorite interview that I've ever had, was with Jim Palmer, who was a Hall of Fame pitcher for the Orioles back in the 70s. Uh, and Palmer was, first of all, he was really nice. Second of all, he answered some great, he got some great answers. Uh, third of all, I actually got to meet him very recently when I went to a Giants game, and it was against the Orioles, and he was a broadcaster. But just the conversation that I had with Palmer was so was so amazing. And it's my first one thing that I ever interviewed that was that was also very important at the time. But although I learned something about Palmer, he he was a gardener. He likes to garden. Again, I would have never known that had I not asked that question. So you have to treat interviews not just like an interview, it has to be like a conversation. Or else you're really not gonna know the meat of a player. It's always very interesting to learn that. Now, I tell you, one thing that I've learned, Matt, really, by uh, interviewing as many players and as many people as I have, is that you also want to make it interesting to them. Because if you think about, let's say, a guy like Jim Palmer, think about how many times he's been interviewed in his in, in his life. And a lot of times, you know, just asking the same generic questions about, you know, all right, you know, you won 20 games this season, this Oriole team was good. Uh, yeah, you're going to get the answers, but you also want to, you know, keep the interest of the people. And I've, I've noticed from a lot of the work that you've done is that you know you kind of go outside of the box and ask a couple different questions that maybe they haven't they, they, they haven't been asked too much and that, that creates interest and that makes the interview flow a lot better and you know it's something that you do a very good job with Exactly. Thank you so much. Another thing you've gotten into, and of course you've interviewed several, you know, several players, a lot of Hall of Famers. You've also done some interviews with with other other people, such as George W. Bush and Rudolph Giuliani and Billy Crystal. Uh, tell tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, what what got you to you know have interest in uh, you know reaching out to these people, and a little bit how you felt those interviews went. Uh, well, I'll start with George Bush. Uh, so I reached out to, I forgot how I got his information, but I reached out to Bush in about, and I would guess, uh, 2013, in like early 2013, and he sent me back like a picture saying, oh, I'm sorry, I can't interview, I can't answer your questions, blah, blah, blah. Uh, 
But anyway, my dad is actually clients with George's brother. I forgot his name. It's, it's I think it's Marvin. Yeah, Marvin Bush. That sounds right. But if it's not, I'm sorry, Mr. Bush. Anyway, so my dad took the questions to the brother Bush, and then he sent the questions to George Bush. And then after it came back to the line, I got the answers. And so when I read the answers, it was very... I was so shocked that one answered the question. Two, I realized I just... I just had an interview with one of the U.S. presidents. It's really cool. And so I was, I was starstruck, one, but uh, two, when I posted it, I got so much good feedback from everyone, and it was, it made me feel like, wow, I have the opportunity. Like, if I can interview George Bush, I can interview a lot more people. And so anyway, speaking of a lot more people, I went to a golf tournament while I was like, yeah, my dad actually took me out of Subway camp for a day. And we went to this uh, charity golf tournament that was hosted by Joe Tory. And I didn't get to interview Tory, but I did actually get to interview a couple other players like Woody Randolph and uh, uh, Gibson, who was a Hall of Fame for the Cardinals. And I met the former mayor of New York, Rudy Giuliani. And he's a really nice guy, you know, he was very uh, warm. Like, he's always been a nice guy, even when he was a mayor, as uh, the mayor of New York. And when I asked him the questions, he answered them uh, in a very, uh, you know, he, I, I don't want to insult his age, but he answered them like he was a grandpa. Like, he was very warm and loving, and it was really fun to just hear him answer the questions, and it was very excellent. And so lastly, the movie Crystal interview, I think I reached out to his agent, Somehow, I, I'm, don't quote me on this because I'm not sure because it was a long time ago, but somehow I reached out to Bristol and he said yes to an interview. And so I emailed the questions to him. And then when I was flying to San Francisco, when I was about to meet Palmer, even though it was a surprise to me and my dad took me out and made, let me meet Palmer. But anyway, so I was on the trip to San Francisco and I got an email from Crystal and it was the answers. And some of the answers were really interesting because I asked him a lot of weird questions like, you know, she's a movie star. And I asked him a lot of questions about, oh, uh, what do you think this character that he played would play? Like, he said Mike Wazowski uh, from Monsters, Inc. would be a good manager because he's a good team player. And so you could, the thing is, with players who aren't, well, not with players, with people who are kind of outside baseball but still have a relation to baseball, because Tony Cristo, Rudy Giuliani, and George Bush, they're all huge baseball fans. But you can go in so many directions, and that's exactly what you said, how to make a conversation interesting. Because if I asked Billy Crystal, oh, what was your favorite movie, blah, 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 that's probably already been asked. But if I asked him something like, oh, what position do you think Michael Nassie would play? That's something that he probably never got. So that's what I tried to do with all the interviews, and I got great answers back. Uh, that's fascinating, man. Once again, John Pielli here with Matt Nadell, and you can follow Matt on Twitter at BaseballWMatt. Um, and another question I want to ask you is, uh, you know, about some of the other interviews you've done. You've done some uh, some what you call ghost interviews with players that you know have, have a long time been deceased. Um, obviously, it's, it's it's kind of innovative because not a lot of people have have done that. Uh, what did, did did you did you find that a little a little more tougher to actually to reach out to somebody that was answering the questions in the form of somebody who's been long time deceased? Um, yeah, I'm a little covered. Uh, I think I've done, I've done a couple of those kind of ghost interviews. I know I've done uh, with Babe Bruce, well, kind of Babe Bruce and kind of Jackie Robinson. 
I think I did one with Walter Johnson, but again, don't quote me on that, I'm not sure. But Babers and Jackie Robinson, I definitely both did. Uh, and I reached out to their museums, respectively, and their head historians. And I told them, or I asked them, the head historians of the Babe Ruth and Jackie Robinson Museum, if they could answer the questions as if they were Babe Ruth and Jackie Robinson, respectively. And I actually got three interesting answers back. I, because I really did not, because back in the day there wasn't really a lot of film of Babe Ruth and Jackie Robinson actually talking. So the fact that, I, like, imagining how they would talk is one thing, but actually looking at what they probably did talk like, like, for example, Babe Ruth is this kind of, not really like Southern, but like, like a, like a weird accent sort of thing because he was from Baltimore and just he had that really like, not mean voice, but like he was, he was a very distinctive voice and Jackie Robinson was from, uh, he was from the California, or not California area, but he grew up in California, he didn't grow up. Uh, he went to UCLA, I know that, so he, the Californian uh, accent was probably influenced on him, but just like, I imagine how they would talk for so long, and I finally got the chance to actually read how they would talk. And just the answers in general seem to be very accurate, because I'm, I love people and I love Jackie Robinson. They're not my favorite players of all time, but I do love them. And it's not just because they were very innovative. Like, I, I just, I don't just like Jackie Robinson because he broke the color barrier. I like Jackie Robinson because he was a good player. He batted, like, 311 in his career or something. But anyway... Uh, so the fact that I got the chance to actually read the questions that he answered what they would did he say, it was really cool and I felt really honored to quote unquote interview Beirut and Jackie Robinson. That's fantastic. Once again, John Pielli here with Matt Nadell. Now, um, out of all the interviews you've done, there's got to be one that stands out to you, whether it was the interaction you had with the player, whether it was the answers of the questions that they gave you. If, if, if I could ask you one interview that stands out from all the other ones that you've ever done. Uh, well, I was at before, my favorite interview was with Jim Palmer, uh, but I actually got the chance to be... Uh, the youth reporter for the Hall of Fame at the Hall of Fame Classic of 2013. So I actually had the chance to interview a lot of baseball players uh, up there, including a couple of Hall of Famers. But I think when I went to the Hall of Fame Classic, I think my favorite interview there was a Phil Negro, who was a very good pitcher for the, uh, for the Braves and the Yankees back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And I think the only reason that I really like that interview, well, first of all, let me give a um, quick backstory. So, Phil Negro was really famous for his knuckleball, and so he called, he was called Nuxie. So, after I finished the interview, instead of shaking his hand, Mr. Negro went out for a fist bump. And so I, I was like, okay, that's very interesting. So, I bought this fist, and then after I realized, wait a sec. I just touched knuckles with Nuxie. <laughs> so it was really, it was, it wasn't, it was an interview, yeah, but that was, that was really funny to think about afterwards. So that was one of the interviews that stood out to me. Now, that's fantastic, and of course you can follow Matt on Twitter at BaseballWMatt, B-A-S-E-B-A-L-L-W-M-A-T-T. And before I let you go, Matt, just a quick plug for your website and let the listeners know where they can find your stuff and, you know, you know that, all, all the stuff that you write about in your interviews. Uh, 
Oh, okay, so you can... I have. I actually have two sites. Uh, I have my, my blogger blog that I made with Google Blogger called baseballwithmat.blogspot.com, that's the URL. And then my other, my MLB blog, where I'm the youngest MLB pro blogger to blog about baseball history, which is baseballwithmat.mlblogs.com, like John mentioned before, you can also follow me on Twitter. Also, uh, I will be going up, just let me uh, give you a couple news stories about what's going on with baseball with Matt. Uh, I will be going up to the Hall of Fame for the 75th anniversary of the Hall, and there will be a concert there. So if you want to go, there's a there's a website that you can sign up for. I don't really remember it right off the right off the top of my head. But I really suggest you go because I think that it will be a great concert, and you will meet a lot of baseball players. Uh, secondly, I wrote a manuscript for an alphabet book about baseball history called From Amazing Aaron to Zero Zippers, a Something like an alphabetical journey through baseball history. Again, don't quote me on that, but I'm very sure that's the, name, uh, the, the title of the book. But it will be coming out on ebook this fall, I think. It will be published by Summer Game Books. You can check it out. I think it will be coming out this fall. It will, it will only be on Kindle for now, but depending on the success, it will be printed out on uh, print later. So if you guys can really check out the book, that would be excellent. Once again, you can go to my blog, baseballblog.blogspot.com, and baseballblog.mlblogs.com. Uh, uh, great, great, nah, great stuff, Matt. I really appreciate you giving me some time. You keep up the good work, man, and uh, you know, obviously, uh, best of luck to your continued success. Thank you so much, John, and you too, also. Keep up with what you're doing, and I hope your success continues. Uh, thanks a lot, man. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that spot with Matt and Adele, and obviously the best to him is uh, obviously he has a lot of great times ahead of him. Uh, a couple things I want to get into as, as we finish up the program here is, you know, I promised a little bit of Boston. We're going to talk a little bit about Boston history, but first let me talk about the worst team in Boston history. And it, it, it happened to have Babe Ruth planned for it, but it was not. And I repeat, was not the Boston Red Sox. It was the Boston Braves of 1935, and they ended up finishing 38 and 115 after finishing 78 and 73 with essentially the same team. And Babe Ruth, obviously, playing in his last season, could have had a bigger impact on that team, and I'm sure it would have been a little bit better. But the reason they were so bad was because the same pitchers that they had were so horrible in 1935 after being pretty good in 1934. Uh, Fred Frankhouse was 17. And nine. Um, Ed Brandt was 16 and 14. Huck Betts was 17 and 11, all in 1934. But in 1935, uh, Frank House was 11 and 15. Uh, Brandt was 5 and 19. And Betts was 2 and 9. And Ben Cantwell, who was 5 and 11 in 1934, was 4 and 25 in 1935. Unbelievable. And this is a team that just ends up not being good. couple quick points about the Red Sox and Boston history. Uh, the Red Sox won five of, the, I'm sorry, five of the first 15 World Series titles um, in 1903, 12, 15, 16, and 18. And you had the Boston Braves title of 19, uh, 1914. Boston won six of the first 15 World Series. Uh, big thanks to Jim Gentile, to Don Leppard, and of course to Matt Nadell for being part of the program. Of course, check out johnpielli.com. Tweet at me at John underscore Pielli. See you next week. Rock over London, rock over Chicago, American Airlines. We mean
Business in Chicago.